Friends, let us pray. Send down your Holy Spirit, O God. Tear open the veil of heaven and speak to us as beloved children so that we may hear and believe the good news of your word made flesh in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our gospel reading today is from the gospel according to Matthew chapter 3 verses 13 through 17. Let us hear God's word. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. At first glance, it could have been just another day, just another baptism, as if baptism in and of itself were just an ordinary thing. People from all over made their way to the Jordan River to repent of their sins and be baptized by John. Even religious leaders deemed hypocritical lined up to submit to this ritual of immersion in the water and repent. Repent. Now, we all know it's hard enough to simply apologize let alone repent. Exhibit A is the half-hearted apology of a child at mom's urging. Sorry. Or, or this is my favorite, the non-apology apology of an adult. The I'm sorry if you took offense or the classic mistakes were made. Did you know there's even a Wikipedia entry for non-apology apology? <laughs> if we had a dollar for every one of those issued publicly over the past year, we would not have a budget care in the world. It is hard to apologize, let alone to truly repent. For that often goes against our baser instincts. And when I say repent, I mean not just to express remorse, but to repent in the fullest scriptural sense, to turn away from the wrong that we perpetuate, and to turn toward and submit to God's will. And it's reflected in one of the questions of the traditional liturgy for Christian baptism. Trusting in the gracious mercy of God, do you turn from the ways of sin and renounce evil and its power in the world? 
to renounce evil and its power. Now, if that kind of repentance was what all those people were doing that day when John baptized them, well, that in and of itself, if it would not turn the world upside down, it would at least tilt it at a pretty good angle. And then, of all people, Jesus showed up to take his place in line with every other sinner who needed to repent. And when that happened, when God's Son himself joined the line, the angle of that tilt suddenly got even steeper. And it even startled John the Baptist, who doesn't seem to me like a guy who would be easily shocked. But Jesus said he needed to do this in order to fulfill all righteousness. And Matthew uses that term, fulfill all righteousness, to refer to one's ethical response to God, a response of obedience. In this season of unrest in our nation's life over justice for the immigrant, the refugee, for those who are poor and most vulnerable, where human rights are at risk, where social media tirades pit people of faith against one another, where school children taunt one another with racist rants they hear from the adults in their lives. In this season, the traditional baptismal question of turning from sin and renouncing evil and its power burns like a bed of white-hot coals. What will our ethical response be? I am personally grateful for the powerful words of witness from nonpartisan ecumenical organizations like Repairers of the Breach, led by notables such as William Barber, and James Forbes and Sister Simone Campbell. I'm grateful that they take that traditional baptismal question seriously. In their higher ground moral declaration, they declare that the deepest public concerns of our faith traditions are how our society treats the poor, those on the margins, the least of these, women, children, workers, immigrants, and the sick, equality and representation under the law, and the desire for peace, love, and harmony within and among nations. And they remind us of Martin Luther King Jr.'s declaration that silence on these issues is betrayal. They state that it's time to move beyond left and right beyond liberal and conservative, and uphold higher ground moral values, to reclaim a moral center. And they are using this declaration to speak with the united voice across multi-faith lines to all who hold office and shape the policy that impacts the common good. I urge you to check it out. Google higher ground moral declaration, read it, let it do its work on you. And if you are so led, sign it. I did. Or follow the good work 
of our own Presbyterian Office of Public Witness in Washington, which reminds us again that Jesus always witnessed to the priority of the poor in the reign of God. It seems to me that if we do some of that, it is one way to respond to that traditional question that still burns. Trusting in the gracious mercy of God, do you turn from the ways of sin and renounce evil and its power in the world? The truth is that sometimes the evil and injustice are right in front of us. And because of our societal privilege as predominantly white and middle-class people, we can't even see that. We are oblivious to the fraught reality of a young black male's day-to-day -day life. And even with the best of intentions, we, I, am often pretty clueless. But we have the witness of those who have courageously shared their experiences as persons of color with all of their perils and promises in both spoken and written word. So I do hope you will join us over those next three Thursday evenings to reflect on Tanisi Coates' book, Between the World and Me. I hope we will deepen our engagement with and understanding of racial injustice, and may we let that study together also begin to do its work on us. It could be yet another small way to respond to the baptismal question that still continues to burn. Trusting in the gracious mercy of God, do you turn from the ways of sin and renounce evil and its power in the world? I recently had a conversation with my predecessor, Pastor Emeritus Rod Froman. I don't see him today here, which may be a good thing, I don't know. <laughs> I'm really grateful for Rod. I'm grateful for his long and faithful service here at Third Church and for the strong outreach organization that he played such a key part in developing and leading and left to the office that I now occupy. I am grateful for his good humor. I'm grateful for his personal friendship. And I'm grateful for his supportive words and presence to me. We met for coffee one day before Christmas, as we occasionally do. You see, I had posted a simple three-word entry on Facebook, which simply said, Words fail me. Well, it obviously piqued Rod's curiosity because within the hour, he had reached out to me with the invitation to meet. And anyone who knows Rod knows that those conversations will be wide-ranging, lively, provocative, and they will eventually come around to the big social justice issues of the day. We talked for a long time about the hopes and frustrations of our present context. And I recall saying to him that the one thing that I hoped was that the church, both Third Church in particular, 
and the larger church in general would not remain in the mode of business as usual, but find new courage to respond with boldness and hope. For even as the work that we presently do to help feed and house and care for people, even as that is a direct renunciation of evil and power in this world, our context is continually changing and the needs are changing. And as the word of God is living and active, God's call to the church is living and active. So in response, I hope we, the church, will double down on our attention to the evil of injustice, beginning with exposing our own blind spots as a starting point. And when our eyes are open to how they connect with laws and policies, let's become informed so that we can collectively speak with the voice of faith against injustice and in support of solutions that are just and fair. For baptism is God's claim on us as beloved children, trusting in God's mercy, turning from the ways of sin, renouncing every kind of evil and its power in the world, and turning to Jesus Christ, our Savior. For it seems to me that the presence of Jesus in this world is God's direct refutation of the power of sin and evil. What could be a greater renunciation of that power than when God tore open the heavens at Jesus' baptism and proclaimed for all the world, in every time and place, to hear, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. There is nothing about that declaration that is business as usual. In today's Old Testament reading, Isaiah says of the servant of the Lord, a bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. Jill Duffield writes that the gentleness described in these few words reveals the character of our God with a certainty and specificity that run counter to the prevailing attitudes and actions of humanity. A bruised reed, the servant's savior will not break. A dimly burning wick, the Lord's chosen, will protect and fan, not extinguish or smother. God's chosen servant is gentle, relentlessly pursuing justice, unwilling to use efficiency as an excuse for promoting the survival of the fittest. And then Duffield connects the Isaiah text with Matthew's text that we just heard, and as she imagines Jesus standing on the side of the river with sinners. And she describes it this way. The bruised reeds and dim wicks have the beloved son on their side. Sinners have a shot at salvation. The son who submits to baptism will also submit to death, coming up from the water in the grave for the sake of the unclean, 
the underdogs, Gentiles, prisoners, Pharisees, soldiers, Pilate, Peter, all of God's fallen yet beloved world. And if that is not the most divinely, wildly imaginative renunciation of evil, I don't know what is. Noted theologian and biblical scholar, our own in-house scholar, Becky D'Angelo Veach, has so beautifully shared how we are better together, that that is what Jesus' ministry is all about, to continually empower the church for service rather than limit that power to himself. Another scholar, not sure quite at Becky's level, but um, Robert Saylor said that instead of consolidating his power to heal the world, Jesus intends to share it with the church and to multiplying effect. So I guess we're not off the hook. It seems Jesus would rather that we not stand idly by. We are better together. And the good news is that in these days of national uncertainty and anxiety, our baptismal mandate is neither partisanship, nor is it paralysis. Our mandate is nothing less than the life and words of Jesus who said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. May we trust in God's gracious, merciful, and even audacious claiming of us in baptism to offer our faithful response. Amen.